Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody disgusting network. Coming up next is something indescribable, tantalizing, and mind-numbing. Enjoy. Smug. Confident. Secure because you are sane. Do you know what madness is or how it strikes? Have you seen the demons that surge through the corridors of the crazed mind? Come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my world. Let me lead you into it. Exercise the terror from scum of the earth. Ooh. Okie dokie, folks. I'm Frank Bonacci, and I'm the scum of the earth. How's everybody doing? 1989 is a year that I brought up a bunch of my other podcasts, uh, Zoning Out and Draft Class. Go check those out, please, if you haven't. Come on. Big dog's got to eat. <clears throat> Anywho, that year seems to have a cosmic significance for me. If you believe in such a thing. It's the year I decided that I wanted to ruin any chance of financial stability and, you know, make movies. There are better years in cinema, of course. But if you Google search all the movies that came out that year, you can imagine how a fat, friendless nine-year-old would be overwhelmed by such an onslaught. Drop dead Fred, anyone? <laughs> ah, memories. Oh, also my wife was born in 1989, but who gives a shit? Jumping ahead, it's 1993 now. We're going all around. Doing the old fat boy shuffle over my local video store. And uh, here's how I know it's 1993, because it's the year I finally saw Evil Dead 2. So Army of Darkness came out, and I'm like, oh, this is a sequel to Evil Dead 2. So I've actually never seen it. I've seen the box art a bunch of times, but I kind of always skipped it. Anyway, I see Evil Dead 2. As I said in the Marcus Levine interview, if you're a 13-year-old kid, you have no defense against that movie. I'm addicted. I've watched it God knows how many times at that point. On this day, a video that I passed over many times in the four years since it came out took on a new appeal. The box art had a man brandishing a power drill with a fucking epic looking drill bit. So we got power tools. Check. Hey, the guy's in a creepy cabin. Check again. Big dog was going to eat tonight. <laughs> okay, I'll stop that. Sorry. It looks like Evil Dead 2. Jackpot. I rent it. And it, it's it's not quite like Evil Dead 2. <laughs> As I've gotten older, my taste in film has veered towards surrealism. All my favorite films have at least an element of it. And I really think it stems from that day. When as I watched that movie, I said to myself out loud, and it's the first time I recall ever feeling this, I feel like I'm watching somebody's dream. And uh, the movie stuck with me for a while afterwards. I tried to describe it to friends and I'm like, no, you don't understand. It, I can't understand. Like they're talking, but they're not talking. <laughs> it's really weird. And out of all the absolute bangers that came out in 1989, I have to say, for good or for ill, things has had the most impact on me. And with that said, I am so proud to welcome the star as well as co-writer and producer of that film who has since made such films as uh, Wicked World, fantastic be sure to pick up the blu-ray from our buddies at bleeding skull hi annie 
as well as The Killing Games, House of Many Sorrows, and the upcoming Tales from the Dead Zone. Oh, and since I got you here, why don't you pick up The Things soundtrack from Terrorvision? Dude, it's on fucking violent. You need it. Mr. Barry J. Gillis, thank you for coming on. How you doing, Frank? One thing I want to ask you about, House of Many Sorrows, which I just recently rewatched. And I've watched a lot of your films, and it always seems to be shot, I guess, in the Edmonton area. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's a beautiful-looking country. Actually, I, sh- I shot that movie about two and a half hours outside of Edmonton. I mean, well, what's the area of Canada? I don't know much about the Canada. So where, what area well, would you say Edmonton is, is in Alberta. So, so it's Alberta. Yeah, you have Calgary, which is south of Edmonton. And in terms of major league sports, you would have the Calgary Flames and then you'd have the Edmonton Oilers in in Mm. the NHL. And then Alberta is north of, say, Montana. So that's the area. I mean, I'm originally born and raised in Toronto, but I came out here to work in in the oil industry. There's a lot of oil out here in Alberta. In fact, that's where I am right now. (laughs) Now you're right on a job. I'm a tradesman, so basically I can go to project to project and then I take time off and then I get back into editing my movies. Right now, uh, I was in the in the province called Saskatchewan, mm. but right now I, I I'm, that job's over. So I'm over here now, back in Alberta, up north. And basically it's a seven day on seven day off schedule. So it gives me time to, you know, work on post-production for seven days straight when I'm off and then a little bit when I'm working out at night. But I mean, I got to juggle things. I'm not like, uh, I'm not the kind of movie maker who has a ton of money that can just, you know what I mean? Like that's like, I'd like to get to that point sometime where, you know, you just make movies and that's all you do. Right. But I mean, unfortunately at this point I have to work as well. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's I have to wake up at three tomorrow morning to go to work. So it's like I know where you're at. That's just uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I gotta wake up at uh five thirty AM. I'm up. Yeah, it's it. Like you you you're you're involved do. in movies too, right? Aren't you so in some way or yeah, well, I used to do grip and electric for a lot of years and then I did uh editing and I made my own feature film a few years back that I put out. Yeah, okay, I have to see it. Yeah, it's on it's out for free on YouTube. So you gave a link to me so I can watch it. Here. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I like watching movies like people I know or people I meet. I like watching their movies and stuff, right? No, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, that's how I am. So here's the thing. You have to make another movie. If you made one, you got to do it again. Uh, yeah, I'm enjoying, you know what? I, I want to get back into filmmaking, make another film. I mean, I always want to make another film, but again, it's the money thing. And yeah, I'm really enjoying the podcasting. Well, that's the big thing because even with Tales from the Dead Zone, like, I mean, and I'm not doing this ever again. I did it with Wicked World back in 1990, 91, whatever, 1990. I shot it over a year on 16 millimeter film. And when I had more money, I bought, I had get more film and whatever, all this. And it's a nightmare. You know what I mean? And then tales from the dead zone, we shot it over time. Like, you know, when we'd have more money and all this, kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I can't do that no more. I need to be able to raise money, you know, shoot the film all at once, which I did with how so many sorrows. I shot it all at once. And then I was into editing, but then I, I got involved with Uli Lamel. I'm not sure if you know who he is. Oh, uh, Uli Lamel. Uh, what did he do? Uh, what's he did? Wait, wait, wait. A boogeyman? Yeah, yeah. Boogeyman. In 1980-something, whatever. And he did a bunch of movies, but he, yeah. he, for some reason, he decided to come to Edmonton to make a movie. And the uh, producer got in contact with me. And then as soon as he flew into Edmonton, I was at this house, and there he was. 
And I'm wow. like, oh, I'm with it. And he liked me. So I ended up working on his movie. He, he ended up passing away and I don't know what they're doing with that movie. Mm. Um, it's like boogeyman. Uh, what is it they called again? I, I just can't think of the name offhand now, but it's on the internet movie database, but he had it edited and everything. And the last time I emailed them before he passed away, they were talking about turning it into a TV series. So I'm not sure whatever is going to happen. But I mean, I was I wore a lot of hats on that and I did it for a very cheap price. And part of my deal with working for with Lama was that I wanted to be beside him on the set, like mm. at all times. But there was times when people dropped the ball. And he needed certain things, like, I don't know, whatever. And I was the guy who was leaving the set to go get it. And, and I would get it for him, right? But I was, like, production manager. I was the prop guy. I was all kinds of stuff on That's that. It's low-budget filmmaking. You just got to wear as many hats but as you I, can. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to see, though, on a... I wanted to be on someone else's film and see how they shot their movie. I wanted to, like, I wasn't sure. I was never on someone else's set other than my own. So I wanted to see, you know, like, how, how do people shoot movies and stuff, right? And, and like, the most, the biggest thing I learned is that, oh, they do things a lot of the same way we do. You know what I mean? Like, but I mean, I saw a lot of different tricks, like, he took the smallest spaces and made them look like a different location, like, you know, like a hotel room, just make different. Uh, it, it was wild. Anyway, I learned a little bit, but a lot of it I already knew. Eh? But how so many sorrows? You've watched it twice. Oh, I'm not happy with that movie. I fired an actress on that movie. Oh, and, no. Yeah, she was giving me a, a ton of trouble. And, and she was doing it in front of Ginger Lynn at that. I had enough. She was giving me trouble in the after the additions we had had. Um, like I had some rehearsals, right? Mm -hmm. I never used to do that, but I like having them because I can see if there's somebody who's going to be trouble number one. And, and just, you know, like maybe we can all kind of start mending together. I don't like to do too much rehearsal where when they're on the set, I like it to be more fresh, like where they've done the stuff over and over. So the rehearsal is kind of like a little bit of stuff from the movie we're doing. And then this and that, but this girl was such a problem it actually fired her and she was pr causing problems for a couple other actresses and stuff. And so I actually fired her and then she begged and begged and begged me to, to get back on the movie set. So I said, okay, let's meet up. I met up with her and I told her, I said, I know you're a troublemaker. I know what you're like, but I said, I'm going to give you a chance. And she said she would do this on the set. She would help. She wouldn't just act. She would help with the production and she would uh, on and on. She went and she begged me and I made a bad move and said, okay. Anyways, it was a nightmare. Like, it, there were, like, because if you're in a location for a while, that's when somebody can start sabotaging your movie. Right. Yeah, and there's nowhere to go. Like you're on location. Yeah, so and it's... like, uh, so what I did was I, I decided to have all her scenes to be like near the end of the shoot. But I was giving her a taste of it. I shot a little bit with her, but not much. And then I left the rest of her scenes for the end of the shoot in case something happened. I had a fire. Anyway, I ended up firing her. She was causing trouble in front. Like, wow. It's hard to believe how some people are, but I've been through this. And yeah, I've seen it a few times. And uh, so I fired her. And then everything basically went back to normal for the most part after that. But the thing is, there's certain things that I wanted to do with that movie that I didn't do because i fired her and whatever i 
I want it more definite and some killing, extra killings, but it is what it is. It's kind of more of a thriller kind of in a way. Yes, yeah. it's kind of like it's got its elements of horror, but but Tales from the Dead Zone is the one that I want everybody to see when it comes out. It looks great. It. it looks definitely looks, I mean, just the cast you have for this one is like probably the big, is this like the biggest cast you've had? Circling back to Ginger Lynn real quick. I watched an interview you guys did together and she seemed like a real trooper. Like she seemed oh, like a real sweetheart. Oh, she's great. Like she's in the House of Many Sorrows in the bathtub and and of course, today she's supposed to go in the bathtub. The hot water doesn't work. Oh, my God. And it was like ice cold. And it's getting really late at night. And she has to take an airplane the next day. Actually, she has to drive about two and a half hours to Edmonton. A production assistant has taken her. And then get an airplane and all that. And it's like getting really late at night, 12 a.m. One, I forget what time. It was getting late anyway. And the water was ice cold. And uh, we said, okay, look, uh, you don't have to go in there, right? Like she tried to go in there and it was like freezing and she was in there just like frozen, like like freezing. So we were boiling water on the stove and bringing it downstairs <laughs> into the, that bathroom we were using was downstairs for the scene. But she is like, I would actually recommend her for anybody's movie, like, like low budget movies and you know she doesn't cost a fortune to have her in your movie and uh and she was great she did a great oh, job she's the, did you ever meet her no never met her she's been in some of rob zombies movies and stuff like she's, she's been done, yeah she was in the vice academy movie uh vice uh, was it yeah vice, yeah vice academy movies she, she i remember was that in, was big with her and Linnea in, quigley um, which one was it she was in one with them with with sid Haig there and she's kind of like in the best. She was in a Metallica video years ago. Yeah, she's been around for a long time. And of course, she's been in hundreds or probably thousands of porn movies. But you know what? She's actually one of the most open people you will ever meet. Like she, she'll talk about anything. Like I was telling people on the set, okay, look, don't bring up her career. You know, the, you know, you know right. let's just, uh, you know, this and that, and let's keep it all professional. She was the one who started talking <laughs> about her career and this and that and. And then uh, it went on from there. I started asking her about Charlie Sheen. She was with Charlie Sheen for like five years. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, no, she's something else. I recommend anybody making any uh, low budget movies. She actually was, she told me that Rob Zombie actually wanted her for another movie, but somebody had passed away in her family or something and, and she oh. told me she couldn't go. But yeah, like I guess Rob Zombie really likes, he, she's had some bit roles in his some of his movies. Yeah. Now, how did it come about that you had the two most famous Lynns uh, from 80s adult films in your films, like uh, 30-something years apart? It's just weird. It's just like, wait, you had Amber Lynn. I always thought they were related when I was a kid, but it turns yeah, out they're not. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> I was trying to get Camille Keaton for My Spit on Your Grave. Really? And, wow. like, I mean, we I was talking to her. Like, we were talking every night. She lived in Florida, I believe, at the time. She might still live there. We were talking for hours and hours and hours and hours. I was calling her. She was calling me. And then she was just reluctant to sign the contract because she's in the Screen Actors Guild. Mm, and you had to do the same like, contract and all that. Union thing. And I think she was worried about losing benefits. And I made a mistake before she signed the contract, which she said she was going to do. I bought her ticket and it was actually a non-refundable ticket. Oof. Yeah, so I lost. I forget what it was. It wasn't a fortune, but it was, I don't know, six or seven hundred bucks. I couldn't get the money back. 
And in the end, I, I just kind of got upset in the end because we kept talking and talking and I'm sending her, I sent her the, the agreement to be in the movie and she just kept putting it off. Right. And like, I mean, I got a movie to make here in like whatever it was a month or less than a month at that point now. So uh, whatever that. Oh, so that wasn't a, it wasn't some uh, like some kind of divine plan to like have both lens in your films. It just worked out. It just circumstance no, no, it, worked it, out that it way. Actually, it, it, it actually was. I have I've I've always thought to myself, hmm, OK, Amberlynn was in things. Ooh, wouldn't that be something we got Ginger Lynn? You know, <laughs> like I've thought about it different times. And then when that fell through with Camille Keaton, uh, the reason I chose her first, because I was thinking about Ginger Lynn as well at the time. The reason I chose her first is, you know, she, she kind of has a following in the horror world, you know, and stuff like that. And you yeah. know what I mean? Like I spit on your grave. You know, you can actually, if you have her in your movie, you can even put stuff like that. Camille Keaton from I Spit in Your Grave. You know what That's I mean? It's a big selling point, yeah. I mean, it's actually one of my favorite movies. And I don't know, the whole thing did turn me off. I just wish she would have said at the end that, you know what? I really want to be in the movie, but you know what? Because she did tell me at different points she was worried about the Screen Actors Guild and all that. And but she kept saying she's going to do it. But I wish she would have just said, you know what, I'm just I, I can't do it. You those know, screen like, actors guilds, those screen actors guilds contracts are like such so prohibitively expensive. They just they they take a lot of resources up. That was yeah, I well, dealt with I, that. Too. I, was, I wasn't basically contemplating doing that. It, it was, and she she wasn't telling me to do that. I was trying to get her in our movie, you, you know, which wasn't a, under the Screen Actors Guild. Believe me. I went through ACTRA before in Canada, which is equivalent to Screen Actors Guild, and it's a fucking nightmare. Yeah, I know. It's I mean, brutal. unless you're a bigger production, and right. I don't know, whatever, you have accountants and all kinds of people. I, right. I mean, I was doing all this bullshit myself. Like, I mean, right. it's a, if you're yeah. a one-man band, it's really, it's not, it's not possible. It, it just it's isn't possible. Like, I always, I always have people on the sets helping me assistance and stuff, but there's just certain things that I have to be on top of myself. I'd like to, you know, hopefully actually someday I'd like to actually meet some kind of an actress who, who is interested in that side of things. And you know what I mean? That yeah, I can just... some money to do this kind of bullshit. Cause I actually hate all the paperwork and all the garbage. Like I, I hate all the, it. I, I <laughs> can't hard. stand all the bureaucracy. My eyes go cross with that stuff. <laughs> But I guess the Screen Actors Guild now has the micro budget. Uh, They've thing. added a new tier, yeah, that makes it a little easy. That makes it a little easier for like smaller productions. But I found with Actra, for instance, and I don't know how the Screen Actors Guild is. I found, and I don't care what anybody thinks, because uh, I, I found the, the just talking to the people down at at, at that place. It's equivalent, hundred percent equivalent to Screen Actors Guild. Uh, you know, I think they even have agreements be between themselves. Like if somebody from the States comes up here and, you know, whatever to Canada, you know, they have reciprocal agreements, whatever they right. do. But the thing is, I felt that they thought they were something like their shit didn't stink. Like, you know, like every time you're talking to them, like they think they're fucking, I don't know. It reminds me of Telefilm in Canada. I tried to get funding from Telefilm one time. Sickening. So yeah. I, I, I vowed never to try government funding again. I vowed never to ever use actor again. And so I go for actors and actresses that are outside of the unions. I mean, 
Look, nothing against the unions, but I just can't afford them. You it's know? just, uh, it's, they're not built for like people like on the smaller end of things. Like yeah, that, I couldn't not, do it. You know, if I could ever raise a certain amount of money. Then it's somebody great. else's job. Yeah, then it's not yeah, a problem. And you can have accountants dealing with this, all this yeah. bureaucracy and bullshit, whatever, right? And uh, you know what I mean, right? And then also you have enough money to pay the union rates. And I'll be the first to say that I believe in, in actors and actresses and stuff like that, getting good pay and whatever. Everybody on my sets gets paid unless they're investing in the movie, right? Like I, I if sure. I have somebody who's investing in the movie and they also want to act in it, whatever, I make deals like that. And But other than that, I believe in everybody getting paid. Like I just, whether it's a hundred bucks a day or depending who it is, a couple hundred bucks a day or in the case of Bret Hart, I can't say, but I mean, you pay X amount of dollars, right? Or, or like Ginger Lynn, like, you know what I mean? Like unknown actors and actresses, maybe they're known in the local scene or they did a couple of features in the local scene or shorts. You know what I mean? Like, it depends on who it is. I generally pay them a heart, about a heart bucks a day. If they come down for a couple of hours, like a, like some small little, I don't know what you'd call it. They usually get 50, say five bucks. I usually pay a hundred a day. So if they're on the set five days, they get 500 bucks. I usually actually even pay them a little extra as a bonus later if they didn't give me any headaches on the set <laughs> or, you know. Now, what was it like working with Bret Hart? No, oh, Bret was... Oh, I mean, he's I, an icon. I mean, that's a, that's a person who's a fucking Bret, icon from my childhood. He, he oh, was Bret, wrestling for a while. I recommend Bret for everybody's movie. Like, I'm not joking, man. This guy is like, he is unbelievable, like, in terms of, just how he conducts himself, how he he's he's so professional, like no matter what's going on on the set, like I can't think of something right now, but let's say there's always something you've been on movie sets, whatever, you know, you shot your own movies. There's always something that happens and oh. people go wrong. <laughs> I'm still and shaking. That, and, you know, for two hours, you, you're not shooting because of whatever reason. Right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this guy, like he was so patient. And in the house where we were shooting, I said, I told him when he, we got there, I said, this is your room. This is where you're staying. Like he, he was actually staying at a hotel, but at the house itself while we we're shooting, mm -hmm. I said, anytime you want to come up there to get away from everybody. And he'd go up there making calls. Other times he'd stay down there. He took pictures with everybody, signed everybody. We flew him in from Calgary. So he's not far from Edmonton. He lives in Calgary two and a half hours away. That's so cool. So we flew him here. He does conventions and everything all over the world to this day. I mean, I've like, seen him at conventions. Like you can't, his lines are huge still to this oh day. Yeah. I mean, he was wrestling in the 90s. He is so down to earth. Like, okay, the day, the day uh, he came, we put him up in a hotel in Edmonton. And before he got here, I was talking on the phone and stuff. And I said, uh, I like having a cast and crew meeting the night before. Mm -hmm. And now, um, now he's been through some stuff. He had a stroke and, yeah. you know, different things, accident, whatever. And so I'm not going to like demand he has to be there or nothing like that. But I asked him, Hey, would he like to come to the cast and crew meeting the night before? One of the biggest reasons I like having this cast and crew meeting is if, for instance, somebody doesn't show up at that cast and crew meeting, you know, you got a problem. I got time to scramble to get to replay and it's happened. Yeah, it's happened where where I've had a cast and crew meeting and like, for instance, the makeup person didn't show up. Oh, my God. 
and you know like a person that you've went through all kinds of stuff with and how you're gonna do things and i don't know whatever all this and um basically it gives me time to scramble i have you know from the evening when we have that meeting it's not just a meeting like i have uh, i'm usually at a restaurant pizza and all that i also like it because it uh i like having some kind of you know where everybody comes together as a team kind of thing like if anybody who hasn't been on a set, it's such a social atmosphere a set. And it's like, oh, yeah. really, if if some if there's one person who's not playing along, <laughs> it could really make the whole shoot go really oh, hard. Oh, well, yeah. Really and and in, in the case of me, one of the things as a person making movies like me on such cheap budgets and stuff, and you probably know other people, especially like you're in New York City and, and you probably and, and being a person who likes all these kind of movies, I would suspect that, you know, some people, including yourself, like you said, you made a movie. So, you know, this stuff. But it's what I found over the years was that I have less problems when I hire people who've been involved in other movies or if they've done a bunch of short films or something. Now, that's not to say that I can't have a problem with them people. However, because of the budgets we're on and stuff, sometimes you do take a chance on talent who's never acted before or whatever. And like, I don't like doing it though. I And, and I try to get away from it, but sometimes when I have auditions, I see somebody who's like, oh wow, this person. But my biggest worry is that they've never been on a set before. They think it's all glamor and I don't know, whatever they, you know what I mean? Oh, no, it's anything but. <laughs> exactly. They don't realize how much sitting around they have to do. You know what I mean, right? Oh, like sometimes It's hurry up and wait. Yeah. Have to sit for hours. Now, there's people I've worked with before and they'll be coming back again who just love being on a movie set, even if they're waiting around for hours, they get to socialize, whatever they're doing, you know, they just love being on movie set. But that, that's the trick with hiring people that are new. And not only that, a lot of people who've never acted in a movie before, everybody thinks they're an actor. And, oh, I could just walk in a movie and start acting. Yeah, there is some people with some natural talent, but acting is a craft, yeah. you know, like a lot of people don't realize what goes into it. But the point is that, um, I forget what point I was making, but on these <laughs> okay. budgets, on these budgets, oh, oh, I was going to say Brett, he came to the cast and crew meeting and I had a, kind of a gentleman's bet with a, with a couple of people before we went into the bar. I said, so how long do you think it'll take before Brett gets recognized when we're walking in this bar oh my at the God. hotel where he's staying? And one guy said, I don't know, five minutes. Another guy said a few minutes. And I said, I don't know. We'll have to see. I, I said, I think when we, as soon as we get in there, somebody will see him. I, I don't know, whatever. He was, we opened the door. He wasn't even in the door. And a guy was there. Hey, Brad, can I get a picture with you? Autograph. Like we weren't even in the door, Frank. <laughs> I mean, he's a legitimate icon. Like that's like a person who's oh, no, no. I, and world I over probably recognized. You yeah, probably do I, that in Japan. People would probably go, oh, my God, Bret Hart. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and I really like him. And then oh, that's uh, great to hear. Yeah, and then a buddy of mine asked me about Brett and then uh, he got him for his movie. So I was down in Calgary and I got to work with Brett again. You know, like I, I was actually helping him read lines for his script and whatever different. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, I, you know, I got to I got to meet him again and outside of our movie and. And we've talked again after that. And uh, I'm not the kind of guy, though, that's like, I don't bother these people. You know what I mean? Like, I'll, yeah. I'll contact them when the time comes and, you know, whatever. I, I've actually had a few people ask me for his number. I said, I'm not going to. 
If yeah, somebody no. like, <laughs> my, I'm like, I can't give you his number. Like, I, I'm not going to be that guy. I said, you, you have to contact his agent. See, what you do is you go through the agent and then later you get to know Brad and you'll get his number. But I, I can't be the guy that, nah. that that somehow his number gets out and then he has to change his cell number because nah. you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Yeah, so... So you wear a lot of hats. What's your favorite on set? Like uh, mine's editing for me personally. Actually, I love editing. I yeah. actually love editing. I don't really want to say who, but there's a director in Canada. I don't want. I don't want to say who, but anyway, <laughs> okay. the director in Canada who offered to edit for me before, and I said I, I can't do that. Right? Like mm -hmm. it was actually Jason Eisner of Hobo with a Shotgun. Oh my God! Yeah. Oh, and I, he's a big fan of yours because he's. Uh, I watched uh, something recently where uh, he, him and his uh, his producing partner uh, watched things, and they just yeah, yeah. like that basically was like over ten crazy. years ago. That was on the Intervision release, and which is an amazing release, by the way. I didn't realize how good the film the the film never looked better in that release. Uh, the truth is, the film looks a lot better. We had a deal to have all the film transferred. HD digitally HD like the film itself like back in the day watching the super eight reels on the screen like it was like wow this was amazing and the the uh the transfer was shoddy some people think we transferred it at like I don't know like at some drugstore down the road where the <laughs> no it was actually sent to this company in Montreal that's supposed to be a, you know, quote, quote, a professional company. And they were using a machine called the Rank Intel machine at the time, which was supposed to be state of the art. And when I saw this garbage, I was like, what? Like I saw this muddy footage transferred to three quarter inch tape. The original footage looked. Oh, looked even better. Wow. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it looks really good. Like when, when you know, like uh, you know, like a projector we watch when we were kids in school. Mm -hmm. You're younger than me, but when when I was in school, they had projectors where we'd watch movies in the gym or whatever in class, like a, mm -hmm. a film projector. Like yeah. film. And like when we were watching the 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 footage of things on that, not that the. <laughs> Not that the movie's any more professional, but the, the the quality itself of the image was not muddy like everybody sees now. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, it's like unbelievable. But we had a deal going and um, Andy in Toronto, I don't know whatever happened. He's got it buried in his basement somewhere with tons of other stuff. And, and I don't know, whatever, it just didn't happen. And uh, I was pretty choked about it. But yeah, I forget what it was. It was, I sent uh, Jason Eisner, um, I sent him actually a Blu-ray of The Killing Games. This is years and years ago. Because he had done that, you know, the the extra on the Things Intervision release, him and yes. Rob Potterill. And so I Facebook messaged them and stuff. And and however it happened, I sent him a, a, a Blu-ray of that. And then we, we just got into discussing different things. And I asked him, I said, hey, do you think the color grading's all right? Because I'd watched Hobo with a shotgun. I was blown away, right? Yeah, stunning movie. Yeah. And I said, like, is the color grading okay, whatever, and all this? Like, I did it, right? right? I said, you know, whatever. I, I mean, it was nothing like Hobo with a shotgun, the color grading. But anyhow... And he said, no, it's fine. Like, you know, for this movie, whatever. And and I forget how it got interjected in there. Something about uh, editing, if I wanted some editing in, in the future or something. Like he was kind of offering me for the future. Because he, he's an editor too. He, he loves yeah. editing as far as I know. 
That's my favorite part of the process because it's really yeah. all the pressure's off and you get to just have fun putting this yeah, together. You can do all kinds of experiments too. Like I've seen stuff in editing, like I've, I've had footage that, I don't know, for one reason or another, you think it's kind of like unworkable or something. And then there's ways to get it in and editing, like there's oh, yeah. ways around things. But uh, anyway, he just kind of mentioned in there somewhere, I forget how it went about like, about editing something for me in the future if I was interested and I said no I love editing that's the point I was getting at with you mm. you because I said to him I said oh no I love editing I can't I can't let anybody edit anything I do like I can't like I Frank I think I would I, I think I would go insane if I give somebody like oh here's all the footage just edit it like I, I I think I'd go nuts I don't even think I could give direction like you know it, yeah, it, I don't. It's, it's one greatest. of those things. I it's it's like when directions. It's like yeah, I know how to get there. I just don't know how to give you directions to get there. I just know how to do it by driving there myself. You know what I mean? That's how I feel about yeah, editing. Exactly. But I don't care if somebody was the biggest editor and they got the ACE after their name or whatever it is, and I don't know. They they edited the biggest Hollywood movie or something, and something somehow happened where this person could edit all the footage I had. I I couldn't do it. Yeah. That's how much I have to edit my own movie. Like, seriously, there's times where I get frustrated, but I actually love it. And I hear a lot of movie makers don't like editing. I don't get that. It's like, that's my reward for enduring the shooting parts. Because honestly, production is my least favorite part of anything. Like, I just, I'm just a ball of stress the entire the time. Tales from the Dead Zone is uh, 105 minutes. It's It's all edited except for a few things I have to tweak. And then... What's taken me time is we did some green screen and stuff that wasn't lit exactly like it should have been. I have to rotoscope some stuff out, put in mm. new backgrounds. And there's some other things I'm working on, like that's just taking time. But rotoscoping, like stuff like that. Well, it's not exactly editing when you're rotoscoping, but it's all part of that post-production process. Yeah. And, uh, but editing in general, I love it. Like you said, when everything's coming together and you know, all that kind of, you're vaping too, eh? <laughs> oh yeah. Big time. Yeah. Did you smoke I, before? I smoked years ago. Uh, yeah, I quit I, a couple of years back. I love it. I yeah. love it. I like the vaping better. It's, it's a uh, smoking 2.0. How can you not like it? Yeah, no, I love it. I'm, that's what I'm doing too right now. I got the bigger vape, you know, yeah. the vape like this, but I, I don't know. I find this one has more taste, but I do use it sometimes, the bigger one. But I, uh, this is like called a cocoa caliburn or something. Yeah. But I like it. When I quit smoking and switched to vaping, like my breathing was better. Everything right. Was I feel better. It's like, oh, this is bad for you. I'm like, it feels a and, lot better than smoking. Do is the stories you hear about somebody vaping and then something happened and they died. Yeah, they were they were playing around with the I don't know what they were doing with the pods and the, I don't know whatever they were. So you've been working on Tales from the Dead Zone for a while now. Like it's been like at least uh, five years. Hey, what happened was I met an actor on that movie I was telling you about with Uli Lommel. I set up the additions as well in Edmonton and there was tons of, there was lineups. And I would send out sides for these actors to read when they came in to see Uli Lommel. I was in there too, in the additions. So this one actor came in. Oh, he was actually emailing me before that, right? Like, and and like always emailing me and everything so i knew who he was when he came in and uli said yeah this guy for the pharmacist role and this is the guy i'm talking about who ended up becoming a, the main executive producer for tales from dead zone 
Anyway, he had the part. He even heard Uli say, yeah, this guy here. He heard Uli whispering it, and he left, I guess, all happy. But guess what? Another guy came in wearing a pharmacist uniform, looked the part, you know, had all the clothes, whatever, and then that guy got the role. However, this guy kept messaging me, emailing me, and we, we even talked on the phone and stuff, and he acted in some short, like he had like a three-second, I forget what it was. He just says, fix it. Like he walks in like into this scene and says, fix it. It's like three seconds on the internet <laughs> movie database, and he was so proud he was in it. And I, I could tell this guy was hungry. So one day I just said, listen, I said, we keep talking, emailing, all this stuff. I said, look, why don't you put up some money? And we'll go make a short movie and uh, it'll be like a, a vehicle for your acting and it'll be good for me. Go out and make a short with some expensive gear and stuff. And I said, are, are you willing to fund that? He said, yes. And he'll be the main actor, everything. I said, we'll get it into film festivals. We'll do all this stuff. And I said, you know, then you can put it on YouTube. And then we went out and shot that. And he, I let him come up with the story as well. Like the, the, I wrote the screenplay and changed the story around here and there. But he came up with the with the skeleton story and we went out and shot it. And then it was starting to eat at me like a short movie. A short movie's not going to go far. Like it's not going to, mm. a short movie's not going to be written in books. You're not going to, you know what I mean? It's not going to. They don't have the currency they used to. There was that, there was that hot time in the early 2000s, late 90s, where shorts yeah. could get you somewhere, but not these days, I don't think. Uh, no, no. Well, see, I, I know actually some movie makers who've made some short movies and it's launched them into getting big money to make a feature film and stuff. I know that. But what I'm talking about is, whether the movie's good, bad, whatever, it's not going to be written in the history of movies that were made, like in these books that come out and like, right. like things as terrible as it is quality wise, everything else. It's in all these books, you know, like known as one of the worst movies ever made and all that. I wear that as a bad of badge of honor. Are you surprised that it's like, it's so many years later that th it's a movie that's still later. talked about. Did you think that would happen? Like when you're making the movie that, that 33 the main, years later the main goal was just to get a movie out there and distribute it and if we could make if we can make a few bucks well my main goal always is to make a movie and then hopefully we can make enough money from that movie to make another movie that's where i'm stand on this i'm not like oh yeah i want to make all this money oh i can buy a house in this car whatever i i'd like to make a a, a certain amount of money where where i could use that money to go make two or three films or like look at terrifier these guys just made 16 i don't know how many million yeah and i'm happy for them like i mean they shot it on a low budget and it's but you know what i'm saying now they can you know what i'm saying they, now they can write they their ticket those guys. knocking at their door now for next for the next you know it's it's going to be a huge franchise that keeps going with me it was always about making a movie and then hopefully getting uh, enough money to make another movie like it's never been about like i don't know it's it's been about making movies and, yeah that's how it is for them. me yeah I, I totally understand it's just that I just want to keep going. And it's just so that's why it's the most frustrating business in the world. Cause all you want to do is just keep going. And yeah, the momentum and is constantly being broken by. So, <laughs> so what happened was I came to Len, Len J Phillips. And I said, Len, okay, we got this short movie shot. I can edit it. We can get it in film festivals. Like there's thousands of them. We'll get them in where we'll get it in some poor festivals, whatever. But I said, listen, 
I said, why don't we turn this into an anthology and we can raise more money and shoot four stories and do this and do that and da 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 da. And then later we'll make a main wraparound story that ties them all together. And, and I said, because, you know, a short movie, it, it's going it, to get it in film festivals, la, da, 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 this and that, whatever, and all that. And um, I'd be putting it in film festivals, not to try to win an award, but to get people to see it. That's how I am. Like, and to me, it's not about an award or something. It's about I want people to see whatever I'm working on. I like I like hearing the feedback from people. Right. A lot of people don't know this because I keep forgetting to tell people in these interviews and stuff. But when I was a kid, back then, there was a little tape cassette recorder. And I used to tell horror stories and stuff. And I'd stay up at night. There'd be like Dracula and these movies on weird movies. And I would wait till there was music. It was just music and no talking. And I'd start recording and make up horror stories into the, into the oh, cassette. So cool. And then I would bring friends over to my place and like, they'd listen to the stories I'm making. And I used to love the reactions. Like I love all that. And that's, that's a big thing while I do this. So like I see so many reviews and I just, I just laugh. Like I just laugh my head off. And I mean, like, what's his name? Bob, uh, the drive-in Bob. Oh, uh, Joe, Joe Bob Briggs. Bob, yeah. Yeah. He had Chris Jericho on there. They, uh -huh. they, they had things. And that was the special guest. And he's like, I hate that movie. And and on and on, because he's a Canadian. So he was talking about this movie. And he's talking about when he, I don't know how it went, when he rented it when he was younger, or whatever the story was. And then he, 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 he was just saying stuff like, we should be banned from Canada. Like, he literally does not <laughs> like the movie. But, you know... So a bunch of people are messaging me like, oh, yeah, I don't, you know, he, I don't, don't let it get to you what he was saying. I said, I don't care what he was saying. Like, everybody knows that Chris Jericho was talking about our movie. That's great. <laughs> I, he's never seen it in the theater because they showed it at the Alamo Draft House by me a while back. And they, it was a really good time. Like, everybody had just. Oh, yeah, they play. showed it. Was it Yonkers? They showed it anyway in near, near in New York somewhere. I remember this now a while back. Yeah, a while back, and it it played. I mean, I remember it was a packed house, and there it was, was not. I know I the think, tickets were cheap, like a dollar or something. It, that's how they do those uh, older when they show older films, like uh, when I they show know genre it was stuff. Packed, though. There, everybody was having a ball. Like there was like everybody has a good time. It has a great crowd reaction. I, I've been to a few different screenings, and what I've noticed. I, and now this, now I don't know how the screening was where you were, but what I've noticed is when it goes through a projector and onto a screen, it doesn't look as muddy to me as the like as the DVD that they're putting in. There's some kind of process in that projection. I don't know. So the way I've edited this movie, it's not even an anthology anymore. That's all I can say. Okay. <laughs> it is, but it's the way I've edited it. I don't know. I guess, I guess a movie maker usually thinks their movie is great when they, I, I don't know. There's a lot, there's, there's a lot. I, I, I like it. Cause I like the violence. I like the exploitation. See with how so many sorrows, I don't know. I just, I think you're hard on that film. I, it's a, it's a fun time, man. Oh, yeah? Were, yeah. I really enjoyed it. I've watched it multiple times. So yeah, I uh, enjoy it a lot. Yeah. No, there's things I like about it. And I don't know. I just, cause I know what it should have been. Right. Dude. Right. Well, nobody's ever, I mean, I'm never happy. Like, have you, know you seen I mean? the newest trailer for tales from the dead zone? Yes, I have. Yeah. The very newest one. Well, which one, the one on Vimeo that you have up. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I yeah. Have. 
I'm going to actually cut another trailer when I have everything just about complete or complete. I'm going to cut another trailer that's, uh, that I think is going to be better. I had a teaser trailer. I pulled that. And then I had another trailer, which is on the Wicked World Agfa release. And uh, it's out there. I, I wish it wasn't now. But anyway, but this one I am uh -huh. going to pull at some point. I, I like this trailer, though. But here's the big thing about movie making. Cash. Money. But the thing is, though, like, Frank, and you must see it yourself. You're learning all the time. Like, you're you're still involved in some stuff here and there? Yeah, I'm, uh, I always have a hand in production. I do mostly editing now for other people's stuff. Uh, since the podcasting thing, I honestly, it's been taking up a lot of my time. I've been, yeah, I'm always looking to do the next film, though, to answer your question, yeah. Is it mainly horror movies you're editing, or what do you... I edit anything that comes my way. I like a roster of clients that come in. They do uh, a lot of sizzle reels. Uh, people like uh, putting together for like pilots. Oh, I've cool. edited a lot of pilots and stuff like that. Like spec wow. pilots, nothing big. Oh, it's but like, I mean, it, it brings in a few dollars. I mean, yeah, uh, it keeps me going and it's just yeah, always so keeps my hard. foot in the door. But I was going to say this in the background, scum of the earth, it says. Yeah. And then I see like some artistic work. What's that all about? The name of this show is, uh, well, this show hasn't aired yet because I we haven't, we have three shows right now. We have three podcasts. One's called Draft Class, where we draft our favorite movies and TV shows. Uh, zoning out, which is where we talk about Twilight Zone. This is my passion project show where I just interview the people I want to interview. And it's called Scum of the Earth. And I say, I'm the scum of the earth and all that. And it's, a, it's an old uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis film. Scum of the Earth? Yeah. I've watched a ton of his movies and I can't remember Scum of the Earth. Yeah, that's uh, it's not it's one of his it's not one of his horror films. It's one of his roughy films where it's uh. I'd still like to see it though. Oh, it's a fun one. Uh, yeah. It has some of the best performances. And I met him before. Did you really get to meet H.G. Lewis? Yeah, I met him at and I met Tom Savini at the same. It was the Fangoria's uh, whatever it was in in Toronto. It was around. Well, it was around when I was shooting Wicked World, 1990, 91. I I did meet him. I was asking him what he's up to now. And then he started telling me he's making marketing books. I go, what? Oh, yeah, that's what he moved on to. Then he came back to filmmaking towards yeah, the end. Yeah, I know. And and at the time, though, I was only like 20, whatever I was, 22, 23 or whatever I was. And at the time, I was thinking, what? Marketing books? Like, <laughs> because we think of our movie makers. I say movie makers sometimes instead of filmmakers. But we think of our filmmakers that are out there making movies like, we kind of think of them like I, I used to anyway. Now with the internet, it's different. You kind of know a lot more about them. Like they do this on the side. They do that. They do. But when he told me marketing books, I was like, wow, that's interesting. Because I always like marketing and advertising and all that stuff. And then uh, I forget how it happened because the, the internet wasn't out. Like it wasn't around yet. But I, I think I found a couple of his books somewhere at the, like the world's biggest bookstore. It was called Toronto, like tons of books at the time. Wow. And I was like, wow, like this is pretty wild, like a movie maker. And he does that. And and it was kind of like, but, but, you know, you'd expect to be hearing him talking about his next movie or he's. And then he's telling me about the marketing. Yeah, a and, completely different field. It's just like, wait, what? It's just like doesn't make sense. Yeah. It doesn't compute. But I, I enjoyed meeting him. I met Savini before, too. I talked to Savini on the phone, and I emailed him as well. I tried oh, getting so him for – I had the film festival in Edmonton for a few years at, like, a theater. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, you can go uh, – if that's something you or anybody listeners are interested in, you have the film freeway. You heard of this? Oh, yeah. I, uh, yeah the I've, film I've... freeway. So you can set up as a festival – 
And I mean, filmmakers just upload their movie once and they can, they like, it's such a, it, there's no movies coming through the mail, all that. It's like, oh, oh it's so much easier. Cause I've been around since, well, yeah, you had to mail in your yeah, So when I start the festival, they had the film freeway, but the thing is, it was taken out. I couldn't believe, I knew it was going to take up time, but I mean, it was taking way too much of my time. Plus, you know, I have my regular job as a tradesman and then, you know, trying to make movies. So I, I just had to shut it down after three years, but I enjoyed doing it. But, but yeah, it's so easy to start your own film festival and stuff these days. And like for people who are really, it's a lot of time. Like it was, wow. I start two day festival, then it went to three. Like, and plus I'm doing the website, everything, tickets. Oh, God. If you're the guy doing everything, like, oh, yeah. And then I paid people to be, vol not volunteers, but I paid people to be, um, you know, to help work at the festival yeah. and stuff, right? But I was going to say, um, yeah, no, that's interesting that you're involved in all that, too. I was going to ask you something. Oh, did you ever meet Nick Zed? Do you know who Nick Zed is? Nick Zed uh made a movie many years ago called they eat scum and when i seen this here scum of the earth uh -huh. it reminds me of this like he made a movie called they eat scum and it's infamous for having uh i haven't seen it in like many years it's infamous for having like a, a rat like a live rat being shoved down somebody's throat and stuff like i haven't <laughs> seen it in years it's crazy. He became friends with that made Crybaby. Oh, uh, John Waters. Yeah, he became friends with John Waters, this Nick said. But he's from New York City. He also made a short movie called Police State. He made a couple of feature films. And then he made a short movie called Police State, which is one of my favorite movies, actually. Oh, wow. like sh favorite short movies, anyway. I highly recommend Police State. So it's like... Oh, I forget, 20 minutes long or something. He's got a guy named Rockets Red Glare in it. <laughs> this Rockets Red Glare, I think, acted with Tom Hanks in some movie. But you got to see Police State. I mean, it's... Yeah, I'm looking up his uh, IMDb uh, right now. Like, he just how do passed I... away recently. Uh... He, he, uh, he gave me the rights years ago to use a clip of Police State in uh, The Killing Games. Mm. And have it playing on the TV. And uh, I originally asked him if I could kind of use it in a dream sequence, and he got so angry at me. Like he's one of those, you know, one of those guys, right? Like he he doesn't beat around the bush. Play state was not made to be a dream sequence, and all that. <laughs> and I approached him a few more la years later and offered him an extra whatever it was, a few hundred bucks or more. And uh, he said, okay, I could use a clip of it in my movie, right? In the killing game. So I did. It was kind of paying homage to his movie and stuff. And But he just recently passed away. But he was, um, he started, uh, he started something called the cinema of transgression. Not, he coined okay. that. It's, okay. Yeah, I know that term. I, I, I know like that school. Yeah, there was uh, another guy named Kern involved. And I forget all the names, right? But yeah, he made a few underground feature films and then he had a show on the public access there uh i forget the name of it now oh he's in terra firmer oh i know who this is i'm looking at it like his stuff right now yeah okay yeah i've hey, definitely look heard at his newer look at his newer stuff um i can't remember the it was a show on access tv in new york it was funny as heck 
Read, read some of his newer uh, like uh, listings. Right, absolutely. Yeah, this is a nice person to go down the rabbit hole of because these but are I the mean, kind of filmmakers can, I love. Can you, can you name a couple of, of uh, stuff there? From Yeah, uh, or... the, the Bogus Man, Geek Maggot Bingo, Kiss Me Goodbye, Go to Hell, Police State, Horgasm, which I've heard of, uh, Tom Thumb in the Land of Giants. Uh, some of his newer films are Paradise Lost, Death of the Muffin Head, Demonica, Eclipse of the Ectoparasite, The Reckoning. He was basically an underground movie maker. I got to know him really well over the years, but we never met in person. Mm. And then he just passed away. Just kind of like the violence and stuff. Are are you kind of into a bit of the greedy stuff sometimes? I'm into a lot of different stuff, but yes, definitely. Like, I definitely appreciate it. Police State, it's a short film I saw years ago, and I was like, like I seen it after I saw um, they eat scum. <laughs> this is a great time. He sold a bunch of his stuff to the uh, art museum or something in New York. Some historical, like he got some money for a bunch of his writings. And anyways, Frank, I don't know anything else before I let you go. I, I, uh, I... yeah. Um, just uh, one uh, final question. I always ask uh, filmmakers: if you, if money wasn't an issue, is there a dream project that you've been holding on to or that you would love to do one day, if money or and circumstance would allow it? To tell you the truth. Uh, well, I mean, if, if money, I, I don't have, like, I don't have a certain project sitting in a closet or something that, oh, if I had the money, I would go shoot this. The only project I did like that, it was, I, I, I was wanting to get a, like about a million bucks from Telefilm in Canada here and stuff, and they turned me down. And uh, then they called me like an hour phone call talking to me about why they turned it down and all this. And I decide I'll never, I'll never apply for government funding. See, we get government funding in Canada from Telefilm, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, even David Cronenberg, like Telefilm is involved in just about every one of, I think in every one of his movies and stuff. And, and, uh, but anyway, I thought I have to try, right? Oh, the, pro- you know what? The process for trying to get this government funding is on, like, I couldn't believe it. Like, I'm serious. It's, worse than going out and getting investors for your movie like i Oof. going through so many hurdles and bureaucracy i thought when are they going to ask me to go down to uh like red cross and get up them uh, some a vial of blood i'm serious <laughs> just how bad it was i i was going through this bullshit for months all this garbage then it had to have so many canadian uh people involved like you know what i mean like so many oh, and you have to prove that yeah you have to shit. prove oh yeah, yeah so i i was um you know whatever i was attaching all different people to it and whatever and they turned me down but that that's not like a, i wouldn't say it's a dream project that if i had the money i'd shoot now because i wrote that a while back that screenplay you know i if i had the money i'd be on to something different now like i don't know just something i'd be writing up but the the, the big thing is as you know because you do this stuff, you, you made a movie yourself, which you're going to send me the link to, right? Yes, absolutely. So what I find is if you have more money, you can get bigger name talent, which gets your, especially with the amount of movies being made these days, you need to stand out amongst the crowd with a couple of names or something. Yeah. And then also, I actually like working with people that have, that, that have acted before, that the public knows that, my my experiences with those people, like even the porn stars, Amberlynn, Gingerlyn, like it's just like they're per- so professional. Like it's like wow. And, you know and the set uh, etiquette. 
yeah, I just like Bret Hart's on the set asking me like, oh, oh yeah, uh, yeah, Barry, uh, how, how did you want me to do this? Like, uh, like this? Or uh, I'm like, oh my God, this is Bret Hart asking me how to, <laughs> and I'm like, Bret, how would how would uh how would investigator Jenkins do it? I caught on quick how to direct him because I knew that he was studying the character just because of the way we were talking on the phone. He was asking me, I have two leather jackets, which one okay, I'll bring both of them, Edmonton, and you'll see, right? And I'll check. And he was talking about the character in the phone. So the the way I knew how to direct him was when he was say, like, I'd say, Well, how do you think uh how do you think in private investigator Jenkins would do it, Brett? How do you think? Oh, well, he'd do it like this, like that. Like he already knew. As a director, you have to know how much, like it's not, ju- it's not just always telling people, you know, oh yeah, I want you to do it like that and whatever. Like each I person actually, has their style that you kind of got to adapt to and well, they got to yeah, adapt. Yeah, exactly. Like, like if you know an actor knows that character inside and out, there's no, like I knew, I knew just the, because of our phone calls and everything and talking, I knew that Brett knew this, this part that I'd written for him. Now, don't get me wrong. I give him some direction here and there and, you know, like, but at the very beginning when he was asked me, oh yeah, how, how do you think, uh, because I knew he knew that character. So I said, hey, what do you think? And how do you think he would do it? You know what I mean? And he's like, oh, yeah, he'd do. Yeah, that's one thing up your sleeve. If you think they know the part and they've been really studying it and stuff. And like a guy like Brett, like if you're a wrestler, you have act, you're an actor, too. Yeah, that's mostly right? acting. It's a 90, 90% acting. And just yeah, so basically, I want to work with him again. Like that's I want to so raise great. some huge money. Well, anyways, I guess yeah, we've been here for a while. I yeah, I'll let you. I'll let you get. Uh, anything you want to plug today? All his films are on uh, Amazon Prime. If you want to buy those, I would highly recommend buying okay. things. Uh, Wicked World, the Blu-ray is fantastic, and of course, The Killing Games and House of Many Sorrows are available on Amazon Prime. Uh, I would highly recommend grabbing those. Uh, Barry, uh, Mr. Gillis, uh, as a person who's watched your films since I'm a child, this was a real honor for me to have you on today. It really is. Well, uh, it's been great talking to you. And the only thing I'll, I'd like to plug is I'd like people to see the trailer for Tales from the Dead Zone. I'd like people to see the trailer, you know, anybody out there listening. And, and I have it on Vimeo. And uh, the re- there's a reason it's on Vimeo over YouTube right now. But anyways, there's a little bit of nudity and stuff in it. But I'd like them to see it because you know why? Because I feel I've come a far way from things and all the other movies I made. I believe I'm always improving. I believe that I have to improve. I I, I, I have to keep learning how to be better, right? And I think I am getting better. I'm not where I want to be. Absolutely. I, I, yeah, I want to keep, I want to continue to get better, right? And and as far as you go, Frank, I know you're just talking to you today and stuff. You, you're, you're very passionate about movie making yourself. And I know you're you're doing all these other things like the podcasts and stuff like that and editing. And plus, plus, you know, you're 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 doing other stuff on the side. Yeah. <laughs> you're up at 3 a.m. in the morning and stuff like that. And but I hope at some point in the future that you know you can get your dream project off the ground absolutely same uh, here same to you sir yeah. Yeah, always looking forward to a new barry j gillis film <laughs> this movie has something to say as well tales from the dead zone has something to say like, there there's some statements i'm making about the world with this movie i've done that before with with some other movies i made as like especially wicked world wicked world yeah 
But um, I've made some various statements about the, the world we live in. I, I, you just got to go on the internet and look at the news or in the old days, open a newspaper and like it's just murder, violence, rape, death, whatever. It's just destruction. Like humans are so, you know, it's just sickening the way. It's not going great for humanity. <laughs> oh, exactly. I like watching movies with the gore and the violence and everything, but I also... Uh, when I'm making movies, I, I feel, I, I, I don't know, I, I just believe the world that we live in is a sick place and that there's not much hope for humanity unless we change. Really proud of this movie and I can't wait to get the God, to get the movie out, right? I was going to say goddamn movie out. But... <laughs> get anyway, this goddamn movie out. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, it's been great talking to you. Thank you so guys. much, sir. Uh, send me the link to your movie and when I get a chance, I, I'd like to, I I would... it's on YouTube. Yeah, it's been a, it's been it would be an honor to have you watch it, sir. No, no, I, I anybody I meet, I like watching their movies, their shorts, their whatever. And, uh, you know, it's just that I can't always do it right away. I have actually uh, people message please. me. I have family members who still haven't seen my movies. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but I'm the kind of guy because I make films when I meet other people and they're like, yeah, I made a film. I, I actually like because the film is who they are. Yes. You went out and made that. Movie. right you poured mm -hmm. your life and your soul into that movie yes. and a lot of people don't realize how much work it takes <sighs> so when i meet somebody like i can't always do it right away but I, I i have movie makers messaging me on like like my email and and also facebook and stuff like that they want me to see their movies and stuff and sometimes i don't have a chance to watch it right away so i'm like like, I, I don't have time right now, but I'm, I'll get to it soon, whatever. And then I'll watch it when I get a chance, right? Now, saying all that, uh, I don't want, like, that. I don't know how many people will listen to your podcast. Oh, yeah. I might have to cut this part out, because otherwise yeah. you're going to get bombarded. <laughs> That's okay. You can keep it in.